You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Great to be with you today. My name's Jeff Milton, and uh, I'm the locum here for the for the next three weeks. Um, and uh, it's a, a privilege to be here. Just a little bit, tiny bit of background. I've been in ordained ministry in Melbourne in the Anglican Church for the last 30 plus years, and uh, I'm married to Anne. We have two grown-up sons and one new grandson. <laughs> who we haven't actually been face-to-face with yet because they live in Singapore, uh, but we see them on Skype and other things like that. And uh, we're going to do a a series on Abraham from the Old Testament, and we're going to learn about the character of God. And the more we know about God, uh, the greater is our wonder and worship and obedience to God, I think. Great to be here, always a privilege to be uh, ministering God's word to God's people. And um, here I am, Red Door Church. Great name, I think. Uh, For me, it it gives me the impression, well, there's this door, and if I walk through the door, there I'm going to meet God's people, and I'm going to meet God. And that's a great idea, picture, I think. Um, So let's have a look now at God's word. Let's pray. Loving Lord, we thank you for your word to guide us and help us, to bring us closer to yourself, to know more about you. Open our hearts and our minds now through your Holy Spirit, that we may know you and love you and serve you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So who is this God that we might want to meet, be thinking about meeting, or know and want to know more of? What is he like? Well, we learn some important lessons in this section of Genesis, uh, centred on the life of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And it's very useful to have a Bible in front of you on your phone or a paper Bible uh, so you can see what what I'm talking about and make sure that I'm not making it up. (laughs) And in Genesis 21, we'll learn about God in his involvement with many different types of people. Believers and maybe believers, young and old, men and women, slave and free, rich and poor. All of them sinners before God, like you and me. And from God's actions and words uh, in this situation, we'll see that God is a faithful, promise-keeping God who we can base our lives on. He is a caring God even when we make a sinful mess of our lives, and he is a God who provides for all. Now, at the start of this series on Abraham, let's briefly review what God had done earlier on. We'll go right back to the beginning, to Genesis 1. God created the universe uh, in all its perfection, but then Genesis 3 Uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Sin entered the world with disastrous consequences. And from chapters 4 to 11, there's a sort of avalanche of sin. Murder came into the world, all sorts of terrible things. And then by Genesis 11, we get to the Tower of Babel. And humankind decided that they were going to, well, shake their fist at God. 
they were going to build a tower. They learned how to build towers, so they're going to build a tower to reach up to the heavens, they said. And why? Because we want to make a name for themselves. So uh, God graciously brought judgment upon them, and that judgment was that they were scattered throughout the, the earth and their languages were confused because of the, their sin. But then in Genesis 12, the next chapter, God started again with humanity by calling Abraham. And he called Abraham to go to a distant land with his wife and his nephew Lot. And he made extraordinary promises to Abraham. He said, I will make you a great nation and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham obeyed God. He went to the land of Canaan, Israel, and uh, God promised that he would give the land to Abraham's offspring and would make them a, a great people. But there was a big obstacle to God fulfilling his promise because Abraham and Sarah were childless, Genesis 15. Nevertheless, God repeated his promise of descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky who would be God's chosen people. And we pick up the story in Genesis 21, 25 years after God had made this promise to Abraham and Sarah of, of numerous descendants, as many as the stars in the sky would bring blessing to the world. When Abraham was, verse 5, how old? A hundred years old, his wife Sarah would have been in her 90s and still childless. Humanly speaking, what chance was there of this promise being fulfilled? Well, um, do I have a, a, sl a slide clicker? Yeah, we can go on to the next one. Thank you. So let's look at what happened in terms of God keeping his gracious promises of blessing for his people. And why is it, it, it this important for us? Because it assures us that God is faithful to us in all his promises. He will keep them no matter what the circumstances of life. Well, let's see what happened in Abraham's circumstances. Verse 1. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said he would, and he did for her what he had promised See, a double emphasis on God keeping his promises. How was that to come about? Miraculously, she became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Well, he was a medical miracle, wasn't there? A hundred-year-old father, a 90-something-year-old Sarah, Impossible in human terms, but not impossible for the God who gives life. This was the fulfilment of the promise made by God 25 years earlier. He would make Abraham's descendants into a great nation, that they would have a son and descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And it was one year after three angelic visitors came to them in Genesis 18 and said to Sarah that she would have a son in 12 months' time. So God had absolutely, miraculously, kept his promise, had a miraculous son uh, by God's grace alone because humanly it was impossible. So now, here we are in verse 2. Abraham and Sarah have a baby. Well, for any new parents, um, that's a source of great joy, isn't it? 
a new baby. It, it brings a smile to everyone's face. My wife Anne and I are proud new first-time grandparents, as I've said. We saw them last night on Skype. Um, but it's a source of great joy, new, a new life. All children are a gift from the Lord, Psalm 127. Um, although parents of teenagers may sometimes want to return the gift for a time. <laughs> but here was little Isaac, given miraculously to begin to fulfil God's plan of blessing all the nations of the world through Abraham's descendants. And of course that blessing climaxed in the coming of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. And Matthew 1, which we don't often read, the uh, uh, genealogies of, of Jesus, who um, start, that, that list, big long list, starts with Abraham and the climax is with Jesus. So that was what was going on. Now he, this was a huge promise and a small start, the birth of a little baby. But God was fulfilling his promise of, of, forming, of, of forming his people and blessing his people and blessing the world through them. And as we read more of the Bible, we see how this uh, promise is fulfilled. You know, Abraham, Isaac, uh, then Jacob, uh, the, the 12 sons of Jacob, 12 tribes of, of, of Israel, they did become a great nation. Uh, in the New Testament, the growth of the church despite persecution, and then looking forward to the fulfilment of God's plan in heaven. If you look at Revelation 7, it's, it's, it's really inspiring. Read it when you go home. There's a vision of God's people gathered around, uh, uh, too numerous to count, a great multitude, too numerous to count, gathered around the throne of God and Jesus the Lamb, worshipping and who are they? What are they like? They are people from every nation, tribe, people and language. And in a multicultural church like, like this, we're getting a foretaste of that life of heaven. Well, let's note how Abraham and Sarah responded to God fulfilling this promise of a child because it shows us how to respond to God's promises. They responded to God's blessing with obedience and joy. Firstly, the joy uh, with Sarah. She was so joyful, she couldn't stop smiling and laughing. We read in verse 6 and everyone around her as well because of this miraculous gift of a child. And then Abraham, we see his obedience. He named the child straight away. This is Abraham's response. He named the child Isaac as God had told him to do one year earlier in Genesis 17, and he circumcised his son Isaac, as God had told him to do one year earlier. And circumcision was a sign of being part of God's covenant people in the Old Testament. So Abraham responded to God's grace with appropriate obedience. Now, the context of this is that it sta stands in stark contrast to the disobedience of Abraham and Sarah concerning the birth of Ishmael in Genesis 16. Uh, at that time, they did not, that was too long, you know, this is not going to happen, we're not going to have a child, we don't trust God, we're going to do it our own way, we'll do, we'll do what everyone else is doing and we'll finally have a child. So they decided to do their, their own thing and Sarah told Abraham to take her slave girl, Hagar, as his second wife and have a child by her. 
And so Hagar got pregnant by Abraham. And when she was pregnant, she, we read in the Bible, she despised her mistress, Sarah, who couldn't have children, who then mistreated and bullied Hagar. And pregnant Hagar fled into the desert just to get away from this terrible situation. But in Genesis 16, we, we find out God rescued Hagar and blessed her and promised her that if she went back to Sarah and Abraham, she would have a child who would have many descendants. God would look after her and bless her. The point here is that the whole plan of Abraham having descendants through Hagar was, completely, was a completely disobedient response to God's promises. And that disobedience had very painful family consequences, as we'll see. So here in Genesis 21, we see Abraham's faithful, godly response of obedience in the naming of his son and the circumcision of his son. And for us, responding to God's grace by obedience to God's way is just as important too. We as God's people may think that we know better than God or God's word or God's way. We look around us and we think, well, we might be, this is a better way to live. We adopt the ways of the ungodly world that may be in marriage and family life as here, making up our own rules, do what everyone else is doing. Or it could be in work practices that are wrong or neglectful or in personal habits of greed or self-centeredness. But we can't expect to be blessed by God in our family life or any other part of our life if we ignore his way and go our own way. Abraham learnt that lesson and put it into practice in his ready obedience. And maybe God is speaking to you right now about where you may need to be obedient. But the sort of next sub-point, uh, same slide, most importantly, as we consider God fulfilling his promises of blessing, let's grasp the assurance of God's blessing for his people that follows on from this miraculous uh, birth of Isaac. The Old Testament scholar Ralph Davis says this, if God begins his people in this world with such a supernatural act, the birth of Isaac, then there must be something supernatural about them. Therefore, nothing and no one will be able to overthrow or annihilate his people. They are a miracle people. That's by God's grace. God has a plan of blessing. He's made promises to fulfill his plan of, of blessing, especially through the sending of Jesus, his son. And we can be 100% sure that he will keep his promises of blessing. He is God Almighty. He is totally trustworthy and true. So in our, our situation today, no, internet, no religious persecution of Christians such as we see in some parts of Nigeria and in some major Asian countries will stop God's plan of blessing the world through the gospel. No government regulations in Australia against Christian activities can stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus and God blessing the world in that way. And personally, that's true for us as well. God's promises. We saw those in the gospel reading in John chapter 6. 
Uh, Jesus said, this is the will of God who sent me, that I should lose none of those who he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. So we can be sure of our salvation and our resurrection because of God's promises of salvation and resurrection through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true of all the promises in the Bible. So let's hold on to God's promises of blessing and salvation for his people. Nothing can stop them being fulfilled. No personal family difficulties or abuse or injury or sickness can stop God's promises of blessing for his people. In God's way, in God's time, as we see here with Abraham and Sarah. Well, the second point, a bit more brief is about God's care even when we sin. So back to Genesis 21. In verse 8, we see several years after Isaac was born, when he was weaned, he could have been three or even four. Um, As was the custom, Abraham and Sarah held a great celebration feast. But not everyone shared their joy. Uh, Verse 9, we see... Abraham's son Ishmael, by his second wife Hagar, Uh, there's Ishmael, and now a teenager, he was mocking, that's all we know, mocking. He was mocking the situation or he was mocking his half-brother Isaac. Exactly how, we're not told, lots of speculation about different ways, but as I well remember, as a former teenage boy, Uh, Teenage boys find endless ways to mock or ridicule others verbally or physically. Perhaps he was mocking God's promises, God's promise that God's blessing would come through his little half-brother. And note here that uh, Ishmael's not named at all, uh, for he's not the inheritor of God's promise, Isaac was. In verse 10, when Sarah heard this mocking directed at her son, Isaac, she told Abraham to drive out this slave with her son, for the son of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son, Isaac. She was like a furious lioness uh, that, that, um, uh, that Abraham's first uh, son, Ishmael, was mocking her own son, Isaac. Now, this is a bit hypocritical to think about because she was the one who cooked up the whole plan that brought Ishmael into being. She said, you go and take my slave girl as your second wife and have a child by her. Abraham agreed, he was complicit, uh, but they had ignored God's promises and here she was uh, complaining about the... uh, the son conceived in this way. Well, she was clearly very concerned that her son Isaac would receive the inheritance, co-heir. The inheritance of wealth was probably part of it. Perhaps the inheritance of the promises of God. That it would be Isaac, her son, not Ishmael, that slave woman's son, who was also Abraham's son. Starts to get messy, doesn't it? Now, what about Abraham? Imagine the pain in his heart as his first wife 
demanded that he divorce and drive out his second wife and his son forever. In verse 11, he was very distressed because this was his own son. What a family mess that was. Nevertheless, perhaps to our surprise, Sarah, uh, God endorsed Sarah's plan, but reassures Abraham that he will look after Hagar and Ishmael and make a nation of Ishmael's descendants. In verse 14, then Hagar and Ishmael, given food and water by Abraham, were sent out into the desert. And we read that they wandered aimlessly in the desert of Beersheba. It was not looking good. What a tragic and painful family situation. Two wives, two children by different mothers, the older son taunting the younger one. All this being brought about by Abraham and Sarah's distrust of God, saying, we can fix this better than God can. Uh, but then God directed them into this painful family split pain which came about through their sin against God. Now we would probably want God to fix it all, wouldn't we? But there's no fix. Old Testament scholar Ralph Davis notes that sometimes when God leads us through or out of circumstances that we have wrongfully arranged... There is no painless way out. Sometimes life is like that, isn't it? There's no painless way out. We will be very distressed. There may be a divorce. There may be family breakdown, as here. And he goes on. Sometimes we're called as God's people, like Abraham, to walk on through the broken pieces, to walk away from the situation that cannot be rectified and to seek to be faithful to God from that point onwards, despite our pain. Some of you may be feeling that sort of pain right now. Walk on through the broken pieces, faithful to God from now on, seeking his comfort. And thirdly, third slide, we see... God's pity and provision for all people. In verses 15 to 17, we see Hagar and her son in a terribly sad and desperate situation in the desert. The water Abraham had given them had run out. Hagar left the boy in the shade of a bush and went off and sat down about 100 metres away so he couldn't, she couldn't hear his crying and she couldn't watch him die and she wept loudly in desperation. There was nothing more she could do. A desperate mother. But God had promised Hagar, back in Genesis 16, actually in similar circumstances when she was pregnant with, with Ishmael, that she too would have too many descendants to count. And God is faithful to his promises. And we read verse 17, God heard the boy crying. Twice that said for emphasis. God did hear his cry. He must have sent up a cry or a groan to God. God help me. <clears throat> we too can be sure that God hears our weeping and our desperate calls for help. He does hear. He does know. God heard the prayers and sobs of this young boy, this mocking sinner Ishmael. 
heard the prayers and sobs of his mother, Hagar. So God, in his tender pity, says to Hagar, Get up, help the boy up, comfort him, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God was keeping his promises, and he was God's rescue and care for uh, this, this boy and his mother. And verse 19, we see God's provision. God opened Hagar's eyes to see a well that she hadn't noticed before. Probably she was so distressed she couldn't see anything much. He opened her eyes to see the well. They had water uh, and she and, and Ishmael drank. And then verse 20, a summary statement of God's provision. God was with the boy and he grew and settled in the wilderness and became an archer. That is, he was able to kill and eat food and probably trade with it as well. And then we read his mother got a wife for him from Egypt, where she came from. So here were the next steps in God's promises being fulfilled that Abraham, that Ishmael's descendants would be a great nation. So God was looking after, providing for these, these people. And in looking after Hagar and Ishmael, we see God's care for all. Sometimes theologians call it common grace. Not only grace for God's people, but his grace and care for all people. He holds all our lives in his hands and sustains them. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, God makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and causes it to, uh, to reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. God provides for all. That is God's character. So let's, let us as God's people, as God's representatives in the world, develop that character for ourselves. He cares for all types of people, believers and unbelievers, people of all nations, young and old, educated and uneducated, abled and disabled, drawing people to himself by his kindness and provision. And we should not write off people who reject Jesus or mock God. Christians. Rather, we should treat all people kindly, as we see God treating Hagar and Ishmael here, and as God treats us. And remember, that kindness may be the only kindness that person is experiencing in any way. A while ago, um, my wife Anne and I were walking down the street in Blackburn, and there was a homeless man there with his various bags <clears throat> all around him, sitting down on the bench, and um, his head was bowed down. He looked like he was in a bad way. And we asked him if there's anything that we could do to help him. If he needed food, there was a cafe nearby. Um, or, or if he needed clothes, I said, look, you can have this wind cheater. He didn't want the wind cheater. I thought it was quite a nice wind cheater, but he didn't want it. Um, uh, but, um, uh, and we said, look, we can go, go and, and you know, get, you, get you some other things, uh, get you some food and clothes and that sort of thing. And he said, no, no, it's all right. Um, and he said, you know, wh why are you asking me? Why are you wanting to, to help me and all this? Uh, I said, oh, well, we're Christians. We're concerned for you. He said, oh, Christians are you? He says, and he's trying to test us. He said, oh, so if you're Christians, what's the, what's, um, what's the best Bible verse? Uh, and I thought, oh, okay, all right, here's an evangelistic opportunity on the spot. I thought, hmm, um, all right, John 3.16 is hard to go past, isn't it? For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only son, that's Jesus, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, we had a bit more of a discussion there, but hopefully a a gospel seed was planted and we tried to look after him as best we could. We did actually go home, get some clothes, um, put them in a backpack and some food and to take back to him, but he'd gone by that stage. Well, to conclude, my own testimony is that God has done these things in my life too. God put, uh, at school and university, God put three Christian friends in my life uh, and through their care for me and their prayer and thoughtful gospeling, they enabled me to see God's provision for me. God's provision for me was about meaning. What was I doing with my life? They showed that to me. Uh, They helped me to experience God's care for me um, through his people. They were caring people and they helped me to grasp hold of God's faithful promises of salvation. Actually, one of, the, one of the keys to it was that they gave me a simple gospel tract so that through I came to understand that through believing in Jesus, I could be saved. So God's faithfulness to his promises, God's care despite our sin and God's pity and provision for all. Let us pray. Loving Lord of all, help us to know you more. Help us to understand your goodness and love and mercy and power. In all our helplessness, in all our sinful mistakes, in all the difficulties that we experience in life, you are there. You care for us. You provide for us. You are utterly true and trustworthy and we can base our lives on your promises of salvation and resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.